What a blessing to be here tonight. What a blessing to these young people here this evening, parents, grandparents. We're so glad that you're here. Just a few thoughts tonight on the prayer life of Jesus. Just some encouraging thoughts, I trust. The Bible says, never a man spake like this man, referring to Christ, but it might well have been written, never a man prayed like this man. James Stewart said prayer was not only an important part in the life of Jesus, he said it was his life, the very breadth of his being. And the prayer life of Jesus was far richer than a list of requests and preferences. It touched the very depths of his being. And of all the gospel writers, Luke tells us more about the prayer life of Christ than all the others. So I invite your attention uh, to the gospel of Luke chapter 3. And if that slide, if there's any way to put it up there, we want to give you a free book on the prayer life of Jesus. All right? All you got to do is uh, take a picture with your camera of that thing, if they can get it going, and uh, we'll send you... Uh, uh, we'll send you a PDF of the book on the prayer life of Jesus. I believe it could be a help and a blessing to you. But Luke chapter 3, verse 21, I want you to notice what I'm calling the preeminence of prayer in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet, if you would, as we read Luke chapter 3, verse 21, the preeminence of prayer in the life of Jesus. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and prayed. The heaven was open. Can you remember what you were thinking when you got baptized? The Bible says that Jesus being baptized, he was praying. And baptism for Christ was a crisis moment because it was a prophecy of his imminent death, burial, and resur resurrection. Yet in that crisis moment, the Bible says that Jesus being baptized, he was praying. Father, would you give us something from your heart for ours and may we give you glory in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for all these students and God, thank you for all these families. God bless them immensely and Lord, teach us to pray in Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. The preeminence of prayer in the life of Jesus. I believe that Jesus was baptized in prayer before he was baptized in water. He was immersed in communion with his heavenly father before he ever got immersed in the Jordan River. And I would say that of all the things that could be said of Jesus, and there's so many things that could be said of Jesus, that the whole world could not even contain the books that could be written of him. But above every other thing and behind every other thing, Jesus was first and foremost a praying man. He was preeminently a praying man. Now, Jesus preached, but he prayed first. He healed people, but he prayed first. He cast out demons, but he prayed first. He did his father's will and died on the cross, but he prayed to blood in Gethsemane before he did it. I believe that Jesus lived in an environment of prayer. He lived in a climate of prayer. He lived in an aura of prayer. Now, you know, when we send our astronauts into space, we don't send them up there unprepared. They have to have the oxygen of earth, the atmosphere of earth in order to exist. Put a human being in outer space without uh, air and he will die. You take a fish out of water and he will die. I'm telling you, it don't take long when it's 100 degrees. You get them out of water and they're thrashing all over the place, but that barracuda was kicking around pretty good for about uh, 60 seconds and then his tail was twitching a little bit and then after uh, two or three minutes, he's not even doing that. You take a fish out of water, it will die. You take a, a human being out of earth's atmosphere, he will die. And you take a Christian out of prayer, and he will die. 
What's the first thing to go when a man gets away from God? Isn't it his prayer life? What's the first thing to return when a man meets God afresh? Is it not his prayer life? Ravenhill said, no man is any greater than his prayer life. No woman is any greater than her prayer life. And no church will ever be any greater than its corporate prayer life. Jesus was preeminently a praying man. He was baptized in prayer. He lived in prayer. He even died in prayer. He was preeminently a praying man. But notice second, what I'm calling the practice of prayer in the life of Christ. Look over in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, the practice of prayer in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 5, verse 15, but so much the more that when a fame abroad of him and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. People are coming to Christ for healing, but he's off to the wilderness for prayer. Study the word of God. You'll find sometimes he spent all night in prayer. In Mark 1, he was up long before sunrise in prayer. Study where he liked to pray. You'll find he liked to go to the mountains, the garden, the desert, and the wilderness. He liked the quiet places. Study the posture that he prayed in as far as his physical frame was concerned. You'll find sometimes he prayed while standing. On other occasions, he prayed while kneeling. And yet at other times, he prayed prostrate like down on his feet, prostrate down on his feet or on his face, such as in the Garden of Gethsemane, which just tells us it's not the posture of your body that counts when you pray as much as it is the condition of your heart that counts when you pray. And here's what I believe. I believe that all of God's people uh, have a heart that cries out, Abba, Father. I believe that a praying heart is one of the great evidences of salvation. Now, I know a lot of unsaved people will pray to the moon, the stars, to the pagan moon god, Allah. They'll pray to uh, the saints. They'll pray to all kinds of stuff. And I know a lot of unsaved people pray, but I'm just here to tell you, I don't believe that God has any children who never communicate with their Heavenly Father. I believe it's possible to get out of fellowship and out of sorts with your Heavenly Father, but God's people have something in them that cries out to something in God. It's the spirit called Abba, Father. When my children were small, I'd be in church talking to people and my children would come up. They couldn't speak. They couldn't formulate words, but they would come up and they would pull on my trousers. What do they want? My attention. I'd look down and then you know what they would do? Throw up their hands. What do they want? They wanted me to pick them up. Now my boys couldn't say, hey dad, I'm down here. Please pick me up. They couldn't say that. But my children, even though they couldn't speak, they knew how to communicate with the heart of their father. And I believe that Abba Father, in its simplest terms, means up, daddy, up. And when you're born of God, there's something in you that cries out to something in God. It's the spirit called Abba Father. It's one of the great evidences of salvation. And Jesus practiced prayer continually. Now, every great achievement in the life of Christ was preceded by prayer. You study it. Every great achievement in the life of Jesus was preceded by prayer. Well, Jesus uh, prayed and fed 4,000. It was a miracle. He prayed and fed 5,000. Miracle. He prayed and walked on water. Miracle. He prayed and Lazarus rose from the dead. It was a miracle. 
Every great achievement of the life of Jesus was preceded by prayer, but even more amazing, every a great achievement in the life of Christ was preceded by prayer. He never did a miracle, taught a great message, arose somebody from the dead, but what he would slip off to the quiet place, I think, to thank the Father for showing himself strong on his behalf. He practiced prayer continually. And Jesus said, when you pray, don't do it to make a show. Go into your secret closet, your secret room, your secret place, and pray to your Father in secret, and he will reward you openly. But notice what I'm calling the solitude of prayer in Luke chapter 9. Flip over to this one. you got to see this one. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now, we know that there are no contradictions in the Bible. We know that, but there are some, what I would call, apparent contradictions. They, they, they look like contradictions at a surface level, and here's one of them. Luke 9, 18. Read it out loud. See if you can detect it. Luke 9, 18. Together, please. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. Stop right there. Hmm. Came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. Hmm. How could Jesus have been alone praying if the disciples were with him? Well, I'll tell you what I think. Jesus was there. The disciples were here. And Jesus knew that God the Father was there. But Jesus was unaware the disciples were there. He was alone praying. The disciples were with Jesus, but Jesus was not with the disciples. He was caught up in an unquenchable concentration upon his heavenly Father, and he was unaware of the presence of people. Somebody said the true prayer is when your awareness of God exceeds your awareness of men. You're really praying when you're more aware of the presence of God than the people listening. Let me give you a little tip. Praying is not the time to preach to other people. Praying is not the time to try to outpray the other guy. And when you're more aware of the presence of God, you'll get away from these carnal things trying to impress people with your knowledge or your prayers or whatever uh, because prayer is just you alone with God. It's the solitude, the aloneness of prayer. It's possible to be in a crowd but not be in company. It's possible to be surrounded by people but be very much alone. I was in Maine one time. We are having a move of God in a paper mill town, and we had about 50, 60 people fasting and praying every noon hour. And, and one afternoon, I remember this guy. He's a young black-haired guy, and he was over there praying, and here's the way he prayed. He said, oh, God. He said, oh, God, I'm willing to do anything to get right with you, Lord, even if I have to go to jail. Well, he was alone praying. He wasn't with us. Man, he was caught up in an unshakable concentration. He was communicating with the heart of it. He didn't even know we existed. And that's the kind of prayer prayer ought to be. When you pray, it's just you and God. It'll make a difference whether you're a million people or you're out in the middle of nowhere or walking down a street or on a beach or on a boat. When you pray, it's just you alone with God. Now, you know the reason why prayer is so hard. Let's be candid. You know why prayer is so hard? It's the only thing you've got to be right with God in order to do. Now, you can come to church and not be right with God. You can tithe and not be right with God. You can uh, do all kinds of stuff and not, you can preach and not be right with God. But there's no way you're going to have anything to say to God when your heart is not clear and clean. I often say my prayers, but do I ever pray? 
I want to encourage you from here on out, stop saying your prayers. Never say another prayer, but start praying your prayers and talk from your heart to the heart of God. Don't pray what you've learned from by heart. Pray from your heart to the heart of your heavenly Father. You know, sometimes you're better off to call on the new convert to pray. He doesn't know the cliches. He doesn't know the slogans. He doesn't know the lingo. You know, I used to go to churches and, you know, everybody prayed alike. Like it came to offering time, you know, some guy would be, some old guy would be up there saying, Lord, bless the gift and the giver. Almost like a, a Jesse Jackson a rhyme or something. Lord, bless the gift and the giver. I save the lost and heal the sick in Jesus' name. And God didn't heal all the sick and he didn't save all the lost, but it was just the thing to, it was a rote repetition. And I'm telling you, get away from saying the same stuff over and over. Get rid of your Baptist rosary, dear one. Get rid of that thing. And if it's just the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing, get rid of that and talk to God from your heart. It's the aloneness of prayer. Well, look at this one. The transformation or the alteration or the transfiguration of prayer in Luke chapter 9. Look at this one. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. The transfiguration or the alteration of prayer. Luke 9, 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. He took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. He took his, his inner circle up into the mountain to do what? Now, you're going to be hard-pressed to take anybody up into a mountain in southern Florida. You're going to be hard-pressed to do that. Uh, you got to climb one of those towers down the ocean somewhere. But, but he took them up into a mountain to pray. I think your pastor is going to be coming up to the men's prayer advance in January. And that's, you're going up into the mountains there. And we're going up there to meet with God. And we're going up there to encounter God. I want you to consider coming to that. Check it out on our website. But notice, it came to pass that he went up into a mountain to pray, verse 29. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. The very facial expression of the Son of God was transfigured, was transformed. Not while he was preaching, but while he was praying. There's no place as transforming as the place of prayer. There is no place as transforming as the place of prayer. You can sit under preaching and not be changed. You can sit under singing and not be changed. You can do the preaching and the singing and not be changed. But there's no way that you're going to come uh, judgment day honest into the presence of God on a regular basis without being changed from glory to glory. I was with a pastor in Maine. He said, Harold, I've been praying three months for revival in our church. And he said, Harold, since I really started seriously praying for revival, he said, God has not done a single thing for the people I've been praying for. But my, but my, he said, how God has been working me over since I really started praying. How many know that the first person to be changed by prayer is not the person prayed for, but the person doing the praying. And if you've been praying for people for a while and nothing's cooking, well, maybe there ought to be some changes in your heart. Maybe some motivational changes. Maybe some attitude changes. Maybe some things need to give here before they can give there. There's no place as transforming as the place of prayer. Now think about it. Uh, if the Son of God had a facial overall, if the very countenance of Jesus, like transfigured, uh, what I mean, we think maybe you and I could use a little touch of God that showed up on our countenance every now and then. I'm not talking about a cosmetic thing. 
I'm not against that, but uh, I'm, talk I'm talking about God doing something in our hearts that shows up on our face. Now, if you ever have to stand in front of people and you look out at those countenances, you come to the conclusion, these people are really burdened down with something. You know, you come down when you come over that conclusion. And I used to think, man, these people are as hard as rocks. Man, look at those countenances. And I finally figured it out. They're not hard. They're burdened. They're carrying stuff. And that's why we have to come into the presence of God and to meet God and to come into something that you can't explain in human, human terms uh, of contact with the divine that has an impact on our attitudes, our inward being, and yes, upon our very facial expressions. Can I say, we don't pray in order to live the Christian life. We do not pray in order to live the Christian life, but P.T. Forsyth said we live the Christian life in order to pray. And the main thing that we have in these days is this uh, intercession ministry on the throne in, in, in the school of prayer with Christ. And I'm not talking about an external imitation. I'm talking about an internal transformation. The Bible says the Lord is that spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. The Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of God is, there is Liberty, there's freedom, but we all with an open face, an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. There's no place that's transforming as the place of prayer. You know, if you would spend 20 minutes a day alone with God, 20 minutes, just you and God, shut up with God, speaking to God, letting God speak to you, listening is just as important as speaking to God. You might not, if you do that for three months, you might not notice any change in your life, but the people you live with would notice a change in your life. Because I'm telling you, there's no place that's transforming as the place of prayer. It's the alteration of prayer. But notice, if you would, what I'm calling thankfulness in prayer in the life of Jesus. Gratitude in prayer in the life of Jesus. Look in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, flip over quickly. <laughs> Luke chapter 22, verse 17. Here they are at the last table, the last supper, we call it. And uh, notice 22, 17. And he, Jesus, took the cup and gave what? He took the cup and gave what? He gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. Now, what was that cup? It was the symbol of his blood, which was about to be shed. It, 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 was, it was the cup of his own blood which was about to be spilled from the sins of the world. And he took the cup and he thanked God for the shedding of his own blood in advance. Amazing. Look in verse 19. He took the bread and he gave what? And broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. So here he's taking the elements the cup, which is symbolic of his blood, which was going to be shed to atone for the sins of mankind. It was the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And he thanked God for his own death. He thanked God for the breaking of his own body on the cross. Now, here's the thing. If the Son of God could thank the Father for his own death before it happened, can't you find about 500,000 things to thank God for this evening, a human being, child of God? Surely can't we find something to praise God about? Surely can't we find something to say, thank you, Jesus, 
off for her. The blood applied. That's a great song. You ought to tune in on that thing right there. Might be a bit much for you, but the words, you'll like them. Just tune in on that thing right there. I'm just telling you. Uh, brother, uh, I'm telling you, uh, in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God. Giving thanks always for all things. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You can go to seed on some things, but you can't go too far with gratitude. I'm just telling you, you just can't do it. And you find a grateful person, you'll find a happy person. You find a griping person, you'll find a miserable person. And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to testify gratitude trumps grumbling every single time. Not only will you be better off, but the people you come in contact with will be a whole lot better off. And, and, and Jesus, he expressed gratitude to his heavenly father. You know, it's not just what happens uh, to us. It's what happens inside of us that really counts. And sometimes we need to go on a quarantine of Thanksgiving to where we don't ask for something every time. We just give thanks. Can I tell you something? A lot of Christians can't relate to God on any other basis other than asking. And that's a tragedy. Brother, I'm telling you, I'm tell there's more to prayer than getting stuff from your Heavenly Father. Can I get a little witness on that right there? I know we got the graduation going on, but we're just going to say it anyhow. There's more to prayer than getting stuff from God. And I'm telling you, we need to give him the praise that's due his name. Well, I want to give you one more, and that's continuance in prayer in the life of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for them. He ever lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lived by prayer. We've seen that. He died in prayer. On the cross, we talk about the seven sayings from the cross. No, several prayers from the cross. What was the first thing that came out of his lips? Father, forgive them. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. That was a prayer. Prayer is verbal communication from man to God. Second prayer, when God turned his back on him and judged sin for all men of all time where he paid our sin debt in total, what did he say? He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even in hell, even in suffering, the torments of righteous, holy indignation, he was still praying. Then the greatest three-word announcement that's ever been made when he said, it is finished. This was not a word to the soldiers gambling his garment. This was not a word to the uh, religious crowd that uh, put him to death. Uh, this was not to his disciples uh, huddling by the enemy's fire. This was a message to the heart of God. It is finished. The job you gave me to do, it's done. The price is paid. Redemption is complete. It is finished. And then the last thing he ever did, he, before he gave up the ghost, he said what? Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Man, he died in prayer. He lived in prayer. I got better news than that. He's still praying right now. Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You know what he said to Peter? He said, Peter, Satan's desire to sift you like a bag of wheat. Now, I'll tell you, sifting is violent and it's not comfortable. He said, Satan has desired to sift you like a bag of wheat, but be of good cheer. I have prayed for you. What do you think got Peter through? His promises, his pledges of undying loyalty, or the prayers of the Son of God that got him through. 
Oh, Peter, he was cussing and denying the Lord within 24 hours of his great promise. He was the first promise keeper. And the subsequent ones hadn't made a whole lot better either. I'm just telling you, God ain't interested in you making promises you can't keep. And he made a promise right here. I have prayed for you. In John 17, he said, I pray not for these only. Lord, I'm not just praying for those in front of me, but I'm praying also for them that will believe on my name through their word. He looked down through the annals of time, I believe, and he prayed for every believer in advance, which is absolutely amazing. But you know what? He's still praying today. Somebody said, well, what is Jesus doing? He's going to, going to build mansions. Don't, don't get a Southern Florida idea about mansions, all right? Uh, well, a mansion is just a house, it's rooms. Uh, he spoke the whole universe into existence in six days. Does anybody here believe that? And he spoke eternity into existence. So he doesn't have a yellow construction helmet on running a big project in heaven, getting it right, and it's going to be really fantastic because he's been working on it for two millennia. How ridiculous is that? No, what has he been doing? He's been making intercession for the saints. Now, not only is Jesus praying for you, and by the way, if nobody else cared enough to utter your name in prayer this morning, if you're a child of God, be encouraged. There's one at the Father's right hand, and that's all he does all the time is he ever lives to make intercession according to the will of God. It says in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit makes intercession with groanings that cannot even be uttered. Child of God, if you've got two of the Trinity praying for you, Everything's going to be all right. And I'm just here to tell you, brother, we got, a, we got a thing on a downhill slide. If we could only get a scriptural viewpoint about it, it's the continuing prayer life of Jesus. Oswald Sanders said this. Listen to this quote. 30 years of living. 30 years of living. Three years of serving. One tremendous act of dying. What an emphasis on prayer. What an emphasis on prayer. Do you see his earthly existence? was predicated upon his prayer life. His eternal high priestly function at the Father's right hand is his prayer life. And I'm telling you, the prayer life of Jesus, it is absolutely phenomenal. You know, in Luke 11, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Not teach us to preach, perform miracles, or any of that kind of stuff, but Lord, teach us to pray. And I think what they were saying is, Lord, the kind of praying you're doing is foreign to us. But we're willing to unlearn what we shouldn't have learned in order to learn what we should have learned. Lord, would you please teach us to pray? And that's a good prayer for every one of us here tonight. Lord, would you teach me to pray? The prayer life of Jesus. What an example. What a lesson. And what a rebuke. If the sinless Son of God prayed like this, shouldn't we be praying with all of our hearts frequently, fervently, and in faith kind of filled prayers out to the Heavenly Father? I'm going to close with this. If the only time you try to pray is when you get in a bind and you're trying to get God to bail you out and you're going to cut a deal with God like I used to try to cut a deal with God. Lord, if you get me out of this one, I promise I'll serve you the rest of my life. What a bunch of stuff. What a liar. I, I never, I, I, I had no intention. I didn't have the capability. And I'll tell you what, I, I, unsaved people pray those kinds of things. Uh, fortune cookie kind of prayers. And if the only time you pray is when you get in a bind you can't get out of, you need to make your calling election sure and you need to get born again and you need to receive Christ as your payment for your sin to become your Savior and your Lord. 
And I'm telling you, uh, he will forgive and he will cleanse and he will change your heart. Shouldn't we pray that prayer tonight? Lord, teach me to pray. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.